It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. It takes a lot of hard work to make it look easy. This Mother's Day, Duluth Trading Co. can help you give her something that keeps up. Whether you prefer to shop online or in-store, Duluth has a motherload of gear, goods, and gifts to keep her comfortable and capable, no matter what needs doing. With Duluth's problem-solving details and legendary durability to boot, you'll finally be mom's favorite again. Check out DuluthTrading.com for all your Mother's Day gifting needs. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's February, and there's snow on the hills, but the first spring hedgerow flowers are already appearing. The dawn chorus is gathering strength, and the days are getting longer, despite the cold. So welcome to the BBC Country Farm magazine podcast, an escape into nature and the countryside from BBC Country Farm magazine. And welcome to the sixth episode of our new season, devoted entirely to the wonders of water. My name is Fergus Collins and I'm the host of this podcast. While last week we ventured north to the wild waters of the Inner Hebrides with poet Kenneth Stephen, this week I discover how the wild waters have paid a visit to me in the form of flooding. I live near the River Usk in Monmouthshire, and while I've got to know the river and its surroundings in extraordinary detail during my many, many lockdown walks, the heavy rain of mid and late January transformed everything as the river and its streams burst their banks. So I set out with a recorder in hand on a bright morning after a long week of rain to explore a very changed landscape and its wildlife. It's incredibly clear, frosty morning in mid-January and I've left the house fairly early to get down to the river because this is the first clear day we've had for a week it's been raining and raining and raining and I think there's been a lot of flooding and seeing as we're doing a season of watery podcasts the issue of flooding and the sort of landscapes that it creates and some of the stories are well worth talking about I think I'm just pausing to converse with the sparrows who are this little bunch of them moseying around in a little uh, the hedge border between my house and my neighbour's house chatting to each other there's a few starlings as well you can see a starling and there's a nice wood pigeon so we've got a lot of birds on the edge of Abergavenny that high whistle is a starling so there's a bit of spring atmosphere in the air uh, but the cars are completely frosted very low sun blinding blinding to me as I walk south towards the river. It's not very far, the River Usk. 
as a collared dove, that sort of wheezy, high-pitched wheezy call, cry really. The roofs of the houses frosted as if it snowed, and uh, there's not a cloud in the sky. It's that sort of pale turquoise, duck egg kind of colour. So we're still in the middle of the latest lockdown. So I haven't been very far afield at all of late. Gosh, this frost is thick. And the pavements are sparkling in the sunshine. There's a sign here. The lane that comes off the road that goes down to the river is closed. Although I can't see any water on it at the moment. But I imagine it was much worse yesterday. Anyway, I'm going to head out and see how close to the river I can get without endangering myself. I've just come to a stile coming off the lane. The lane is, obviously I think it was full of water yesterday, it's gone down, but it's the debris of the flood has been left through here and the fields beside it. Whole tree trunks uh, washed up. Shipwrecks. Yeah, the water has come right up here, covered the footpath. It's amazing how quickly it's gone down again. It's yesterday evening I saw the water up here, and uh, already it's it's retreated. Uh, so I should be able to get down to the river. So my hope today is just to get out and have a little look and see if there's any wildlife to be spotted get away from the road hopefully so where I'm walking now would have been underwater yesterday I can see the high tide mark of where the debris where the debris has been left and there's tennis balls and bits of plastic but mostly it's oh, <laughs> and a vodka bottle and there are quite large pools formed on the edge of the fields here and there's a little stream that runs through here through the wood down to the river which is well, it's like a, just so much water. And this is the second time the Usk has flooded this valley here this winter. Second time. It's becoming more frequent, for sure. So I'm entering a little woodland, which takes me down to the river. That should give me a better idea of what sort of damage has been done. When there are fewer leaves on the trees, you can really hear the traffic. So there's this little stream that runs beside me through the woods. Is a... It's comes straight off Sugarloaf Mountain really and oh yes it's flooded the woods quite considerably here so the, this is a single magpie which I'm hoping to see a second one which would be uh, yeah so the water comes straight off the, off the mountain lots of little rivulets streamlets and all but this little stream has been dredged recently so it does carry the water of the off the fields very quickly but it probably also carries the water quicker from the hill 
into the farmland in the first place. The violence of the water that's been through this wood has, has shifted whole tree trunks because some there have been some chainsaw action down here and some of the more dangerous trees have been uh, I, you know I'm, I'm all for leaving trees standing some of them were literally falling over uh, over the footpath and they've chopped them and left all the trunks around that's a cold tip singing there it's sort of and they can't, there's a few pines here, I can see it. It's flitting around in some... There's a real mix of conifers and deciduous. It's a funny little scraggy woodland here. I'm very grateful for it. Because it does seem to harbour a lot of life. But yeah, going back to the... Yeah, so lots of trees have been cleared. And some are mighty tree trunks, but they've been just tossed around in the flood water blocking the paths so I'm getting down to the river shortly you can hear more of the roads on this clear morning and you can see how the vegetation has all been flattened in one direction uh, the footpath always shifts a bit after each flood but it is concerning that you know there are houses built down here and I'll come to that in a bit that uh, that are in this flood well Presumably when they were built, it didn't flood so often, but clearly climate change has meant that this is happening on a... Just trying to catch up with some little wrens and little peeping birds high up in the trees, which feel a bit gold crusty. Probably gold crusts up there. There's other, other things too. I've lived in this particular area now for two years and it's the fourth time it's flooded. So if you owned a house, you'd be pretty depressed by the constant invasion of the river. But, so, but this time it also looked like the streams had burst their banks. And it wasn't so much the river surging back, but the streams, so much water coming down so fast that it all backed up and it's flooded quite a long way from the river but the fields in between don't seem to be flooded there's so much debris here empty bottles of wine so I'm at the river it's extremely high there goes a, a gull just flying downstream yeah it's really high it's racing past um, there's a robin singing in a in an alder beside the river. It's a beautiful scene though. And sort of the point about coming out today as well is we think it's winter and it is winter in our in our heads, but actually for a lot of these birds this is this is spring. These sunny days, it's time to start defending your territory and singing for mates and a good territory, you sing for it early, gives you a very good chance of having a good breeding season. Yeah, this water is absolutely surging along. It's not quite as brown as it sometimes can be after rain. There's gulls foraging over. They look like herring gulls. 
they quite often come down into the fields after they've flooded because there must be oh a cormorant going overhead on those sort of stiff wing beats doesn't do great deep wing beats like a heron like yeah just stiff short wing beats impressive bird though this long neck and kind of dragon like uh, features but yeah the gulls come out onto these wet fields uh, where worms and other creatures have drowned and they just pick up a free meal There's some tree trunks that have got stuck in some of the uh, riverside willows and alders here. Uh, but it, it is a beautiful day and the hills are sharp against the pale blue sky. Rusty coloured slopes of bracken up there which has all died down but just creates this sort of oxidised hilltops and then the little clefts and valleys and combs filled with these grey broccoli heads of trees but over the river there's a good lot of jackdaws foraging there as well and uh, a couple of moorhens I don't often see moorhens here they're just flying low they're, there's a lot of bankside vegetation for them to skulk in there's lots of water in any, in any little fold in the fields there's like a little natural pond Oh, the sun on the water here. So beautiful. It's just come above the little woodland that I've walked through. The sun has just risen above that. It's sparkling off the off the usk. Now, the, yeah, as I was saying, the usk isn't as brown as it often can be after heavy rain. Not sure why that is. The brown is soil that's just washed off fields um, down little gullies and rivulets into streamlets into brooks and into the river so it's a, it's an issue with you know the changing climate and farming practices that some sometimes if fields are ploughed at a time when there's heavy rain or it, oh a tree creeper a little tree creeper going up an alder in front of me alders have this very deeply fissured bark where all sorts of creatures hide out the winter and then they get a rude awakening when a tree has two to them in the same tree when a tree creeper's beak comes in and plucks them out of their cosy little hole <laughs> I love these tree creepers they just there uh, they, they sort of finish with one tree get to the top of it or two thirds of the way up and then they it's almost like they glide down to the base of the next one and work their way up it. So back, yeah, back to farmer's soil. There's quite interesting advice on how fields can be ploughed in certain directions of the furrows and things so that it prevents topsoil being washed off. But it's a, it's a sad thing to, you know, this precious thin layer of fertile soil, which is a chaffinch first chaffinch song of the year get a bit closer to it <laughs> lots of chatter of different birds up here sort of, yeah it's just a sub song lots of water here lots of frozen water on the field yeah it's a it's a it's a it's a great shame to put all that effort into maintaining a fertile 
the soil level and then see it washed away into the river um, and it causes all sorts of problems in rivers because it can clog up the, the gravel beds where fish spawn and it can just choke a lot of the bottom of the river where all the small creatures the invertebrates live it also it can be full of nutrients which promote algal growth and all sorts of things like that so it's not great it's a great tip just here oh. and uh, that's a wren clicking away oh that's song of a tree creeper there we go a bit further up actually further upstream So this will be, hopefully, tree creeper song tutorial. That's it. There are birds. I think they are. I think they're red wings feeding on ivy berries. And a very tall alder. Just quietly having breakfast. Just in the movement as they reach up and pluck the berries. Oh yeah, there's lots of flood water here and it's all covered in ice. So I'm going to see if I can... Chizik, chizik, that's a pied wagtail going overhead. So here we go, frozen flood water. Let's see if we can get some sounds of the week. It's rather satisfying, but it actually is getting quite deep. I'm wearing wellies, but this will be over my wellies shortly. sound. It's sort of very satisfying. It's very thin the ice. It's only had one night of what an amazing sound. It's really beautiful the way the ice has created all these patterns as well. They're sort of it's like someone's badly cleaned the window with one of those scrapers and left all the marks. Oh, this ice is a bit thicker, where it's shallower, the water. And it's sort of frosted and cloudy and milky. Just amazing patterns. And it's all sword blades and clouds. But it's talking about the usk. Where the trees line the bank, like as along here, the river seems to stay put. But where they don't, where there's like long stretches, yeah, field just meets the river. Each flood, the river eats a bit more field. There's several places along here in particular where you can see the, the land has eroded into the river. And just in the short time I've lived here, a couple of acres of land has been lost. That must be concerning to the farmer who runs his sheep on them. You buy your fields, rent your fields, and then they start disappearing. What is this? Some tracks that come up from the river. Claws. Long claws. I don't think it's a dog. I think this might be a badger foraging. What on earth's gone on here? 
this deeply gouged trench with sharp claws that ends at this stile. How strange. It's like a story here. Maybe something has been predated because it looks like there's sort of been a struggle. A deep furrow gouged out of the sandy uh, flood residue, this sort of silt. There's a second magpie. I think I'll count that as my two magpies for the morning. Is that so? The, the water surged out and covered the lanes, and and was was really really serious. I mean, it was obviously serious yesterday. I wonder if the same thing has happened. But when it died down uh, by spring, walking along the lanes, I began to notice that there were things moving in the water, fish. So. And I thought, oh gosh, just a few sticklebacks, the usual. As the water levels, because sort of, it was very hot last spring, the water levels started to drop. And I noticed they were quite big fish, you know, three, four, five inches long. And we, my son and I, had bought a really good pond dipping net. We went down and we fished in some of these little creeks, which were drying up, and we always get quite worried. We caught these fish and finally identified them as chub. And there were other species as well, minnows, loaches, and, uh, and sticklebacks, obviously. And there were thousands of them. When the sun was out, they would all bask on the surface and cycling along the lane, I could cycle for a mile. And all the way there would be, oh, there goes that cormorant. Just him taking off his wingtips, flicking the water fishing in this sort of little stretch of rapids. A riffle. Maybe this is where the fish swim through and it's easier to catch. Um, so I was getting quite worried and there were parts where the, the, the ditches had dried up and I was finding dozens of dead fish, freshly dead, you know, it's just suffocated that morning because it had dri dried up. So we got to action got into action, drove the car down with my brewing bucket and we caught as many as we could from, you know, we couldn't do whole, you know, enormous lengths but we we probably saved five or six hundred of these fish and brought them over to the Usk where they, they exist in the Usk in good numbers but but I wonder if that's happened again and in a month's time when I'm looking at the ditches when they're a bit yeah, when, the, when the water's gone down they're a bit clearer there'll be the fish problem again we get a lovely view upstream here of some sort of small willow islands in, in the summer you can wade over to them and they're quite wild places I tend not to go because it's where the sandpipers nest there's the little song of the usk just in full spate Lots more water in the fields here. It has gone down very quickly. I was expecting to see a lot more today because last night the whole valley was shining like a mirror in the evening sky. Shocking amount of water, really. Ah, so my little beach is flooded. There's a large, well, I think it was a common egret and a grey heron. I thought it was an egret, it looks so white from a distance. Oh, the heron is taking off now, that's such a shame.
I'm not sure I can actually reach there. There's water in the way now. I don't think I can wade through. When the water goes down, it'll leave lots of pools. And in a couple of months' time, about the end of March, early April, uh, the toads will turn, and they love these pools. So it's, it's fascinating to see them being made right now. I've never seen this before. Always missed that. Yeah, I can't get through because the water's too deep. But from I'm, I'm on a sort of elevated bank, which protects the fields here somewhat. But there's a lower area where there's in the summer makes a lovely beach, sort of stony, sandy. Egress and the heron were obviously having finding good meals there. The inlet, so it's created created an island where the beach is. So it's created a stream around this beach and uh, they've obviously found lots of minnows and other fish maybe eels that are sheltering in that maybe the yeah maybe the fish like to shelter in these little backwaters lots of water down there on the land right i'm going to head back away from here because i can't go on because of the flood water and I'm going to head across country to to the lane where there was a lot of flooding earlier. Hoping I can get back home, otherwise it's a, a long walk back around. Very icy style. So, taking extra care. Missile thrush up ahead, I think. Just see them flying. And that distant rattle. It's another mag two more magpies. The flood water here is just reflecting the blue of the of the sky. Um, but here, there's a stretch ahead, completely frozen. Well, not completely frozen. It's got a a layer of ice up ahead. A field of sheep, and they're just a tiny bit higher. So I'm imagining the flood water hasn't reached them. So I'm looking towards a foothill or lower slope of Sugarloaf. So I'm looking to the north. This sun-bathed slope and there are little friendly faces of houses all the way up. It probably, I can see 20, 20 dwellings and farms across this wooded, patchy slope. It's really good fun to explore up there. Now, I'm glad I'm wearing wellies because there's no way I could get to this style without them through the ice. slightly cold trickle of water down into my toes now. Keep getting very distant phrases of missile thrush song, which are lovely. Very early, early spring singer. Yeah. There's more. There are two here. One to the west and one to the east. They're really faint and I'm not sure they're being picked up. There are like these, there's lots of keep out signs. And those fields seem to have been particularly badly flooded. So, uh, the water doesn't care about your signs. So, where I am now is on a lane the A40 just to the north 
and these are the ditches that were full of fish now they're a bit grey at the moment and it'd be very easy and the fish would be quite small at this time of year grow very quickly chub so there could be thousands of fish in here left over from the floods what I've learned is quite often you can come to a pool or a river and it looks totally empty crystal clear look totally empty but the fish are there they just sort of find a way of um, they're hiding they blend in they skulk around the lane is now right I'm walking it's an inch of water covering the lane and it's slowly draining into these ditches so here where I'm splashing through the water is draining off the fields and into the lane and slowly making its way into the ditch which is pretty full water in the ditches is probably almost a metre deep whereas large most of this stretch will be dry by the end of May last year it was dry there's some great tits chattering here and a robin just above me that's a, sorry it's a blue tit okay just foraging in catkins of a riverside what is that must be it's an all day uh, He's right above me. Green, greeny, blue, yellow. Really good sighting. It's literally just two meters above my head. No chap. Celebrating the blue tit. Hello. There's a robin on the gate. Let's leave him to it. I get a bit confused between these high-pitched blink blink calls. Is that a great hit or a chaffinch? It's here, it's a great hit. Great tip. Okay, good. Store that in the bank. Jim, Jim. Yeah, the chaffinch is more pink, plink. So I've got in front of me a scene that it's sun on the stream in the ditch, creating this sort of smoky effect, and then shining off the wet road, the wet, the wet lane, and then silhouetted behind is a little church the whitewashed house beside it which might have been the old rectory or something hello Robin and it's gorgeous it's just beautiful so fresh feeling so I'm walking past the churchyard with its huge yews a cute church uh, unfortunately it will have been flooded again I imagine but it looks so peaceful in these 
lichen-covered headstones. It's the archetypal, if you had to draw a churchyard in a pretty church, this one would do a pretty good job. So there's three houses around here. Uh, but there's very vulnerable here to flooding. And I wonder how they fared over the last few days. So the lane here is covered in silt and gravel and wood debris. A lot of it looks like the flood has literally torn up the lane. It looks like... It looks like, um, sort of disintegrated tarmac. Yeah, there's a layer of mud here on top of the road. So that's presumably just come off the surrounding fields and settled here. So I'm heading back for coffee and uh, deadlines. So I'm just going to soak up a few more kind of beautiful vistas of Monmouthshire awakening post-flood. So what can be done about flooding? A lot of people, and it's a very sort of popular call, is let's dredge the rivers more and they'll find all sorts of people to blame for not dredging the rivers. It could work in some places, but I think a lot of the debate about dredging rivers is misses the point that it's almost too late then. If, if that much water has got into the river, all you're doing is sending the problem downstream. If, you, if you're hastening the speed of the flood water. Uh, and it, the problem with dredging rivers is also destroys a lot of wildlife habitat. So there are other, there are other theories and thoughts. And one is that you try to keep the water up in the hills in the first place because most of this water falls on the hills and then slides off in all the streams and springs and whatever and hills if they have a good layer of peat and vegetation trees they can absorb a lot of rainwater like a great big sponge and releases it over a longer period which is good because you don't get feast and famine where you get floods and then absolute arid dry, you know, everything dries out over the summer months. If you've got a big sponge, it lets the water out over a longer period. That seems to me a more sustainable approach. I can understand the, you know, the desire to find a solution and, and dredging does seem like a very obvious, simple solution. Like with so many of these things, there's another little ditch stream. I've seen eels in here. Just passing a few conifers here and um, just a goldcrest singing. Very high-pitched. It's also a dunnock. Lots of people talk about beavers these days. And I've witnessed how beaver dams work in a couple of places in Britain. Some secret locations where they're living wild. It's amazing what they do.
Yeah, so beavers can be an option because through their dams, the woody material creates a sort of porous blockage. And that, again, holds the water up in the highlands, the uplands, and releases it slowly. So I've seen where beavers create dams and where in summer it would be completely dry. The beavers have actually created these pools and rivers store water so streams never run dry. And then you get fish and other creatures living far much further upstream. It's, it's very interesting. Uh, I think in the forest, forestry dean, the forestry commission, investigating how beavers can provide natural flood defences at a fraction of the cost. I think people like to see big concrete dikes and barriers and things because they want to see something obvious done, money spent and plans made and big engineering structures to give them confidence. But actually the beavers can do a much more subtle and complete job without that huge expense. So I think it's very hard to change people's opinions, but we have to find the right way to do these things. Well, so that was a lovely wander down by the river. Now I'm back in the dry and the warm of the podcast studio with my very good friends and podcast helpers, Jack and Hannah. And it's very nice to not be sploshing around in flood water. Um, good to see you both again. Thank you for joining me. It's been really dramatic around here with all the water and the, so much rain. So we've had more water than fields locally. And I hope that came across in the in the podcast there. Um, have you guys kept above water where you are? Jack in Bristol, Hannah further down in the midst of South Wales? Yeah, dry by me. No no flooding sort of near me. I think I'm quite high up, luckily. So uh, we don't really see many floods around here. What about you, Hannah? Um, personally, I've been okay, but I know that up further up at the valley in Swansea, it's been really terrible. It's awful. And people who've been flooded last year or the beginning of the year last year have been um, hit again it just seems to be getting worse and worse do you hear discussions locally about what people would like think like to happen or that because well, I was discussing in the podcast a few sort of some of the solutions that are proposed but do you hear people say oh I'd like this done or I'm fed up with blah 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 more beavers in Swansea <laughs> not here because Gower itself is um, 200 feet above sea level. So we're like personally like in this, in my local area, we're fine. Um, but I don't know what causes it further up the valley. Difficult to know. I mean, everywhere is different, but I, I think a lot of it is we're getting so much extra rain with climate change and when the ground's saturated already and it just seems to flow straight off the hills into the rivers super fast and we can't cope with it. So... Uh, yeah, interesting. Well, maybe we'll we'll probably come back and do more stuff on flooding. As it's quite, I mean, it's very exciting to be out wandering around the countryside. It does change it, and particularly during lockdown, when I've walked these paths over and over again, it's actually quite sort of strange and thrilling to see it all transformed by water. So, without further ado, let's head on to the podcast post bag and have a deep delve 
Jack, I believe you might have something for us. Indeed, I have our long distance listener of the week. Oh, hooray! And it is Linda from Oregon, all the way over in the US. West Coast. And she wrote in to say how much she enjoyed the podcast with Lucy, which was only a few episodes ago, number 87 on the list if you're looking for it. And uh, just expresses how much she enjoyed it and her ability to transport all the listeners and to remind us to stop, look, listen, feel, appreciate everything where we are and just take the time to enjoy nature, which I think is a really nice thing to have taken from that episode. And then uh, she signs off just by saying she believes that Country Four Podcast has a new fan, which is oh, well, lovely. Thank you, Linda. And uh, yeah, lovely. Lucy was was a was a listener, is a listener to the, to the podcast, and so she pitched an idea, and it's 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 delightful. If you haven't listened to it, it's she's an artist from Somerset, uh, which is my homeland, and she's just sitting by a river talking about her connections with nature. And I think we all kind of feel similar things. And she also talks a lot about her art and how she gains inspiration from the surroundings. So really beautiful. So I'm glad she's got a, a fan club as well. Oh, Hannah, would you like to have a delve into the post bag for our sound of the week? Well, this week we've got sounds of the week. Tim Partridge has sent us two recordings that he made from his bedroom window backing onto farmland in Salisbury. So firstly, we have the sound of a tawny owl. And secondly, this will be a noise that's familiar to most of us in the UK. Sound of a fox. That's super eerie that fox I and mean, yeah. the, the owl was lovely and uh that's a um of a of a tawny owl as you say but yeah that eerie fox calling over sort of wintry fields and hills it is a truly evocative sound and i mean amazing lovely I've, i haven't managed to capture the sounds of many mammals at all on the podcast so huge thank you for to Tim for sending that in. Brilliant that it was captured from his bedroom window as well. That just shows how easy it is just to open your window, pop a following Hannah's advice. Yeah, stick your hand out of your window, catch a fox and an owl. That's incredible. We've had we've been lucky. We've had lots of sounds of the week sent in, so we'll have some more at the end of next week's episode. Jack, could you give listeners a reminder of how to enter Sound of the Week, as it does take a tiny bit of technical knowledge. It's easy as just taking your phone out, recording on your phone on an app, sort of like voice memos, and then uh, sending us those files, probably best using a file compression service such as WeTransfer, Dropbox, Google Drive, whichever's easiest for you, really, and uh, sending that to editor at countryfile.com. And don't worry about making your recording something as dramatic as what we've just listened to today. You can send us sounds of garden birds, of the rain on leaves, whatever's happening with you. Lovely. Yeah, there's no constraints, just lovely sounds of nature. Talking about lovely sounds of nature, we were inspired by a letter in last week's podcast postbag about spending a little bit more time giving space and time just to hearing the sounds of 
the outdoors, the landscape, the beautiful sounds of nature. So we're going to introduce a new mini podcast each week, uh, which we're going to release on Fridays. And it's just going to be a short, immersive, perhaps five, ten minutes of lovely recorded sounds of nature. So the whole idea with this is to give you a little bit of peace, tranquility and an escape into the countryside without me waffling over the top of it um, and just something that's immersive, tranquil and meditative just before we head off for the weekend. So I hope that works and I hope you enjoy it. So thank you so much for listening to this podcast and thank you also to Jack and Hannah for joining me in the studio and chatting through the podcast post bag. So goodbye for now. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>